This morning, if you would, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to start reading at verse 19. Now, last week it was pointed out to me that, uh, that I gave the passage, but I did not give the verse where I was starting, so that was my fault. I'll make sure I give the chapter and verse this morning so we can all be on the same page. And uh, notice here, Hebrews chapter 10, you'll have to bear with my voice. I uh, was, was um, sort of attacked by some kind of sinus stuff this week, and uh, it really rocked my world for two days. So uh, forgive me for that. <clears throat> I am uh, mic'd up, though, so maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe we can get, the, get it done today. So we, we're trying some new things, as you can see. We've got some new things in the work with, uh, with our recording. And by the way, all of our sermons are online uh, through our church website. You can also subscribe to them uh, on iTunes. So you can actually just go subscribe to them on iTunes or find them on buzzsprout.com. And uh, so if you ever miss, you can, you can still stay with us as far as the sermons or the sermon series is. Notice here in Hebrews 10, just follow along with this reading here. We're going to read down to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. A word that you inspired. A word that was written down by real people. A word that was transmitted through a real process. A word that you have kept sacred and pure and true throughout the years. And now, O Lord, would you help this word be applied to our hearts, this ancient letter to our souls by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Baylor this morning said, Daddy, I don't know why, but everyone for some reason talks about Alabama and Auburn football. Uh, I said, yes, son. He said, why? What's... What's the deal about that, you know? And I said, well, that's, that's two big teams here in Alabama, and you're pretty much either one or the other. There's really not an option when you come to Alabama. You're going to have to choose because you just get tired of explaining to people that you're from out of town and you actually have a different team. doesn't matter. You just need to go ahead and choose one. It's much easier to do that. And so I was explaining him this, and he said, and it just sort of hit me that sometimes we hear things talked about, but we really don't know why it is important. You know, here he was, he hears it all the time, you know, Alabama, Auburn, he's picked up on that, and, uh, and he's wondering, 
why, why is anybody even talking about that? Why is that important to people? And sometimes in church, sometimes in Christianity, we do things, we say things, we hear things. They seem like they're important, but we really have no idea why we do them. So what I want to do this morning is just very simply explore why we come to church. This is a basic question, basic concern. It's one, I mean, you hear it all the time. You should go to church. It's maybe a cultural thing in the deep south. Maybe it's a Christian thing. Why do we go to church? And so I want to explore that. And, uh, and, and we're really starting here from Hebrews. Now, the writer of Hebrews, we don't really know exactly who it is. Uh, but that's not the important part because the ultimate author is God. And Hebrews really is a series, as far as we can tell, it's a series of sermons. So just the the same way that I do sometimes, I'll do a series of sermons, maybe on holiness or prayer or something like that. Uh, The writer here in Hebrews seems to have a series of sermons that he's preaching. And so the whole book is kind of a collection. It doesn't actually start off as a normal epistolary greeting of, you know, I so-and-so am writing to you, you know, X, Y, Z. There's nothing to that. He just starts right into preaching. Now, it does have a regular epistle-like conclusion. So this was a letter, and yet it's a letter that really is a series of sermons, a sermon series, if you will. Now, we find ourselves deep in the book in chapter 10. And as you know, after he leads us here, what we just read, he goes straight into what is oftentimes called the hall of faith where you have the greats, right? He recounts all the different people uh, throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, who were people of faith. And before he gets there, however, he gives us this exhortation, literally exhortation, this sermon, this application. And, And really, within the text that we just looked at, there's really three times where he says, let us. Now, not let us, right? There's this meme going around, let us, the vegetable, pray, right? Let us pray. Um, He says, let us, but it's not the vegetable. Instead, he's calling us to something. Now, notice this. He says this, let us draw near to God in faith. Uh, This is in 22. He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. He then dropped, dropped down a little, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And then in 24, and let us consider, notice this, I love the imagery here, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Let us, let us, let us. So, let us do that this morning. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, what I want to do, and, and, and just notice how he did the cardinal virtues there. Faith, hope, love. You've seen this before in the epistles in the New Testament. Paul oftentimes does this. He'll organize his thoughts with faith, hope, love, or a combination of faith, love, and hope. Uh, This is exactly what happens here. Let us draw near to God in faith. Let us hold fast the hope that we have. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love. Now what I'm going to propose to you is this. The best way to do those three things, faith, hope, and love, is in the church. It's really the only way. 
is in the church. Which is why, which is why he says, do not neglect to meet together as the habit of some is, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now when he says the day, he means the day, like the end. It's the day of the Lord, as it's oftentimes called in the Old Testament. So what I want to propose to you is this. The only way we can do these things, continue to have a faith in God, continue to have a true hope that we can offer to the world, which, boy, we need hope. We need hope. Especially now in, our, in, in the current... I, I don't know many people at all that would say things are going well in America. That's okay. We can, you can unify on that, right? But we have a hope. We're more than just Americans. We're believers. And the church, the church is the best way to stir one another up in love. Now notice this. Uh, here's what God has called us to. This is in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It says this. And he gave, this is talking about Jesus. He gave the apostles, notice this list, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now that is people who are primarily have given their life over to some aspect of a calling to God. In other words, that's what they do primarily. My, my calling, my vocation fits right in there under shepherd and prophet. Now prophet, just for clarification purposes, doesn't mean I can tell you who's going to win the Super Bowl. Okay, um, But a prophet foretells as much as he foretells. So we are proclaimers. And this is exactly what, what, uh, what people who are called full-time as vocation, their work, is to do. Now, he gives this list, and he says this. Those people do this. So in other words, this is a job description. This is a job, job description for pastors, for teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, notice this, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, rather, notice this, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's a powerful, powerful text. And it's one that really outlines for us the fact that we are all called to one body. And though we may have different jobs within this body... We are all called to be a part of the church. Now, here's the big question. You've probably been asked it. You've probably asked it yourself. I'm asked it quite a bit. You've seen it on Facebook. You've seen it on your social media sites. You've wrestled with it. Why do I need to go to church? Is it necessary to go to church? In other words... Can I be a Christian and not go to church? And there's a great movement. I've got statistics right here uh, that say 73% of Americans claim to be Christian. Identify on Christian, to be Christian on their tax forms, on census. 
material. Uh, yet, yet, that's not always the practice. In other words, 73, check this out, 75% of those Christians, those people who are claiming to be Christians, pray within the week. In other words, if you were asked a question, have you prayed within the, in the last week? 75% of people say yes, that are Americans say yes, I've prayed last week. What about attending a worship service? That's not a wedding or funeral or something like that, but a worship service, 35%. It's a big gap. What about scripture reading? Have you read your Bible in the last week? Not me reading it to you, but have you actually opened your Bible and read it, opened your phone and read it this past week? Eight, uh, 35% people say yes. Have you volunteered at your church? Are you involved in a ministry at your church? Go down from there, 18%. And smaller, what about a small group? 16%. Now, what I would like to submit to you is this. And I'm no expert. But the church in America is not as strong as the church in China, as strong as the church in South Korea, as strong as the church in Africa. Now, we have more resources than any of those places. But why are we not effective? If that many people are Christian, why are we have a trouble choosing who needs to go in what bathroom? Why are we still having basic questions about what it means to be a male and female? What it means to be married? How is a nation that confused with 75% roughly of people who are Christians? I'm going to submit to you and say, look, it's not enough just to say a prayer in the last week. It's not enough. Um, It's not enough just to occasionally be involved in God's church. That's not enough. This is more than your working. We don't work for salvation. The other statistics, this is from the Barna Group, by the way. You can look this study up. It's a brand new study. But they also are, a lot of these people, I think it was like 35% said, yeah, if, you, if you're a good person in life, you'll go to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. So something's off. Something's wrong. And I think... The best way to make disciples, as Jesus called us to do, is the same way he did it, and that is in small groups. To be in a small group. To be in a small group of people that can hold you accountable. And, but that's not where I'm going this morning. We're going to talk about that next week. So if you want to skip that one, then that will be your own prerogative. Uh, we're going to talk about small groups next week. What I'm asking is the larger question within that question. That is, is this even necessary to go to church? Why do we even go to church? Well, I think in order to answer that question, you have to, um, you have to ask another question. And that is, what is church? What is church? The Bible has many ways that it talks about church. Now, thankfully, have you ever noticed that the Bible is not just some boring textbook? You guys notice that? Like... The Bible may be difficult to understand, but it's stories. The Bible is made of images. It's not just some boring definition from Webster's Dictionary. You ever notice how, how many times you want to know what faith is, but there's no rote, old, lettered, just definition of what faith is. Instead, what he's going to do, you want to know what faith is? Look at chapter 11 of Hebrews. He gives us people. He gives us stories. Because people and stories are always interesting. Definitions are boring. I mean, how many of you actually sit around and just read the dictionary? 
I bet you watch TV, though, don't you? I bet when you go to the mall and other places, if you don't want to shop, you watch people. Because watching people's fascinating. Isn't it? People, stories, they're fascinating. So what is the Bible? People, stories. And the Bible has many different ways it talks about the church. But it never talks about it in some boring way. Now, if you're taking notes, which I would suggest that you do today. I don't normally suggest that. I have quite a list here of the different images that God has given us in his word of what the church is. The first one is this. The church is a holy nation. Now, here's what the scripture says in 1 Peter. But you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people For his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now that's quite a definition of what the church is. The church is a nation of people. A race of people. Not just white people. Not just black people. Not just Indians. Not just Mexicans, not just Asians, a race of people who are all types of people. Now, here's what's fascinating. As you study the world's religions, if in fact you do, which I do, um, I happen to do that. I actually enjoy doing that. I like looking at the data and I like looking at the numbers. It's fascinating that Christianity literally is the only religion that transcends race, nation, and continents. Now, Islam would be the closest next, but it's not spread around the world like Christianity is. Uh, Christianity literally is the most diverse religion in the world. You see, that the enemy has covered our eyes and lied to us about the church. Today... There are more African, literal African Christians than anywhere else in the world. Save possibly the underground church in China. So if you think Christianity is some European, colonial, American bubble, no, no, no. You've got it all wrong. The center has shifted. Europe has declined as far as Christianity. It's both secular now and Muslim. America is in decline of Christianity. Africa is the new center of Christianity. And they are sending out missionaries back to Europe, back to the United States. There may be more active Christians in China than anywhere else in the world. This is not just a European experiment. It didn't start that way. It's not going to end that way. This is a nation of all nations and all peoples. So the church is a living kingdom. And we in the church are citizens. So may I ask you, how could we be citizens if we're not members of his church? If you can find a way around that, then go for it. But there's not a way around it. You're either in his kingdom or you're not. 
And if you're in his kingdom, you'll be part of that holy nation. Now, second thing, the church is also a family. This is, this is one of the more favorite ways to look at the church, right? It's not just an organization or institution. Those are boring words. The Bible never uses those words for the church. Church is not a business. The church is a family. Here's what the Bible says in Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And notice this. And members of the household of God. And then again, in Galatians 6.10, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, the church is to be a family. Which means, you don't necessarily have to like everybody in the church to be a part of the family. I dare say we like everybody in our family, do we? Maybe you do. Maybe you have a fantastic family. Most people have a real family where they don't necessarily like certain people in their family. But you're still family. You would still go get them if they were broken down. You know what? That's how we're to operate. We don't have to be best friends with everybody in the church. You say, that one person over there, they scare me. That's all right. You probably scare some people too with some of the stuff you do. We're a family though. And family sticks together. You don't necessarily have to like family to be nice and forgiving and gracious and loving. We need also... If you think about your own life, family brings the most joy. It can also bring the most pain when it goes wrong. But it brings the most pain because when it goes right, it's the best. It's God's design. He's the one who designed the family. He's the one who even revealed himself in familial terminology. Father, son. Notice we always want to, oh yeah, God is the great creator omniscient, omnipresent. Those words dropped out of my vocabulary a long time ago when I started really studying the Bible. The Bible never talks about God in those kind of distant terms. Rather, Jesus comes and he says, you know what? The way you should pray is to say, our Father. Not our force of nature. Not our creator who is distant, who never comes down to see us. No, a father who is a loving father. Jesus is said to be, get this, this is nuts. He's said to be our brother. Our brother. And the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. The divine family that invites us into a family. So again... How can you be in the family if you're not in the family? Next, the church is a vine. John 15, 5, you know it very well. I am the vine. You are the branches. How can we be over here doing our own thing and still connected to the vine? I I mean, it doesn't make sense. If he is the vine, we are the branches. If we are cut off from the vine, how are we part of the tree? The church is a body. The eye, 1 Corinthians 12, 21 says, cannot say to the hand, 
I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Do you guys remember that song? Dry bones or something like that. Isn't that what it's called? Dry bones? You know, the, let, me, let me just detail it for you. I had to look up the lyrics. The foot bone connected to the ankle bone. You, you know this? Yeah? The ankle bone. Now, the bone doctor's not here, thankfully, because this is probably not the right terminology for these things. But the ankle bone connected to the leg bone. The leg bone connected to the knee bone. Knee bone connected to the thigh bone. Thigh bone connected to the hip bone. Hip bone connected to the backbone. The backbone connected to the neck bone. Neck bone connected to the head bone. Just think about that. How can Christ be our head if we're not connected to his body? Like, I'm just asking. So when we ask the question, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? I don't know how else to respond other than to say, if you're not a part of the body, he's not your head. All the way down to the ankle. It's okay to be the ankle. Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, doesn't he? He likes all of the body. He's the one who designed it. Just like an engineer would love his own design. So too, God has engineered us to be like this. Have you guys ever noticed how connected our world is? I mean, the other night, I had all this sinus stuff. I couldn't breathe. I was lying down and just, I literally was suffocating, drowning. And so I got up, went to my recliner, turned on. I, I, I uh, saved some shows on, uh, on the Science Channel just because I like to keep my thumb on the pulse of our society, what science is saying, right? And uh, so I, connected, I watched all these shows on uh, astrology, essentially, how the universe works, you know. That's nuts. I mean, when we look out through the Hubble telescope, you know, you're just probably humdrum to you, rocket scientists, stuff like that. But we're looking thousands, millions of years in the past because light can only travel so far. And those things are billions of light years away. Light years away. Not miles away. Light years away. We're literally looking into the distant past. Those places could already be gone by now. We just hadn't received the light. Then there's this thing called dark matter. You've heard about this? Like how the Milky Way is even held together. Get this. Now, now check this out. We're all smart, scientists, scientific, modern times, all this kind. We don't even know how the Milky Way is held together other than saying there's a black hole there. What's a black hole? Well, we're not really sure what dark matter is, but it holds everything together. The very thing that holds even the different galaxies together. Do you know that galaxies are even in a gravitational pull? This is nuts to me. Maybe you learned this a long time ago. I was sitting there like, wow, you know, dripping all out and stuff. I'm like, man, this is awesome. I'm just thinking, we don't even know what to call this stuff. I know what to call this God. The Bible says very clearly, not dark matter, but light. He's the one who actually holds everything together. We don't know what to call it, but we know something's holding everything together. Well, he is at the end of the day. He is. Notice how connected everything is. How can you be connected without being connected? Doesn't make sense, does it? We're not computers. We don't need to be booted up every morning. We have a body, and this body, this body right here, must be in this body in order to be connected. His body. 
Maybe you'll remember that song later today and think about that. Not only that, the church, the church, notice this. <laughs> Here's what Ephesians 2.20 says. Built, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Notice this. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him... You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The church is a temple. We have a temple, but we join this temple to his temple that he's building. Guess who started the church? Jesus. Jesus started one church, the only church. We're a part of that church. We are called to be a part of that church that has been going now for 2,000 years. You're called to be a part of his body, his temple that he's building to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. How does God dwell in the world today? Used to, right? It was all in Jerusalem. I mean, boom, God said, look, I'm right there. That's where I'm going to be more present than anywhere else. God's always everywhere. But I'm going to be very present in Jerusalem in my temple at the Holy of Holies. You know where he's most present today? In the church. That's where he chooses to be present every single week in a church. Now I understand. The church is people. Church is not a building. It's not the steeple, but the people. Right? That little thing you used to remember. Open it up and there's all the people. Church is about people. Yes but people who come together to worship God, to be joined together. So again, there is no such thing as an isolated Christianity, an individual Christianity. Did you notice the Amos reading how he was saying, yeah, y'all are laid up on your couches, on beds of ivory, laid up eating lamb chops. Sometimes... When it's time to go to church, to be with the church, to be the church, we're laid up just like he's saying. Make the sacrifice to be a part of the assembly. Not only is the church a temple, it's an assembly. If you don't show up to the assembly, how are you part of the assembly? Notice what Hebrews chapter 12, 23 says. And to the assembly of the firstborn... Who are enrolled in heaven. (laughs) I love that language. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So again, we are part of an assembly of people who are enrolled in heaven. That's where our true allegiance lies, isn't it? Not just to ourself, not just to our family, not just to our nation, but to God. And lastly, probably the most intimate of the different images that are offered to us in the Bible, the church is called the bride of Christ. <clears throat> you ever had somebody, guys, talk about your wife? You ever had somebody make your wife cry? Boy, you talk about getting defensive, right? Ladies, have you ever had the experience where somebody was talking about your children? Mama Bear comes out, right? 
you learn real quick in those situations that love has a side to it that is good, but ready for war, ready to defend. I remember when I first started umpiring, my mother came to see me, and I I really was not the best umpire at first. I think I turned out to be pretty good in the end, but uh, at the first of it, boy, I was struggling. And this woman in the crowd, you know, my mom was standing there, and she was right beside her. Of course, this lady didn't know that my mom was my mom, and she's just bowed-mouthing me, you know, I'm like 17 years old, whatever. And my mother, if you know my mother, she's not a confrontational person until you start messing with me. You know what I mean? You start messing with me, and she's going to be real confrontational. And, uh, and she got real confrontational with this lady. And uh, needless to say, she was quiet the rest of the game. Some people talk bad about the church. We've all been guilty of it. Church is this, the church is that. There's even some strategies in church growth that will tell you to put up a sign that says something like, a church for people who don't like church. What does that even mean? Yeah, come to our church. You won't like it, but just come. We're a church of people who don't like church. You're bad-mouthing the bride of Jesus? I don't think that's a good idea. Now, look... I'm I'm with you on critiquing bad things in the American church and you know heretical churches you know there there's always the crazies out there right I mean Westboro Baptist Church you know that you can't look at that and say that's the church that's not the church Jesus tells us very clearly one day I'm going to separate the wheat from the tares but it's not this day and thanks be to God it's not because if it was today some of you might get plucked up He says, look, one day I'm going to separate the goats from the sheep. It's not this day. It's going to be at the end. Thankfully, the church is a place for sinners and saints. That's fine. That's great. I've had people come to me before and say, hey, you know, this person's mistreating me here at church. I say, look, there's some hurting people here. You've got to be the saint. That's our job is to minister. This is not just a place to come where we just insulate ourselves from the outside world. We invite whoever will. Just as Jesus did. He was even critiqued for hanging out with bad people. But he never talked bad about his church. Jesus died for the church. He loves his bride. And if you find something in you, as I have before, as you have before, that doesn't like the church. I understand some people have been hurt in the church. Deeply wronged. In the church. But the church is holy. The church is pure. People are not always, but God's church is. And you don't stop because of an incident or a series of incidents. Because the reality is, God is leading his church. And it's the only way to receive his salvation. He doesn't have a plan B. There is no plan B. It's the church or bust. The world doesn't have anything better to offer. One time I bought a 12-pack of Coca-Cola, 
pulled out one of the cans, perfectly sealed, and yet there was nothing in it. And I can say, what a dumb company Coca-Cola is. It's just a piece of garbage company. Bad-mouthing them and all this kind of stuff. Is that true? Is Coca-Cola really an awful company because of my personal experience? No. We don't do theology. God is not understanding truth. We don't understand truth just from my personal experience. So personal experience aside, the church is God's means to save the world. By the way, Coca-Cola sent me a whole new 12-pack because I told them that there was one mess up. Now, there's some people that are unable to go to church, and we must go to them. We're not talking about people who are unable to go to church. We're talking about people who are unwilling and uninterested. If you have that kind of desire, then ask God today to help you fall in love with the church. Because look around the room, literally, right now, just glance around the room. Everybody, it's okay, just do it. It's not going to be weird to eye somebody. Um, Just look around the room. This is the church right here. Don't think of it in metaphysical terms. Oh, yeah, the church is out there, something like. No, no, The church today is made of people in Asia, China, who were on their knees whispering the gospel today, singing so they wouldn't wake up their neighbors in an apartment and be called on by the communists to answer what they were doing. The church today was operating in Russia. It's the biggest enterprise in the world. It's the biggest organization of people in the world. It's the largest religion in the world. It's done the most good of any organization in all of the world. It's not time to badmouth the church. The enemy would have us do that, but we mustn't. The church is not about the latest fads, evangelistic targets, being seeker-sensitive or arguing over worship styles or the size of a church or the location of a church or the denomination. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about church. We're talking about the people that Jesus started that have been going on, reaching out across the nations, literally. And today, the church is in all nations. There's not a place that you're going to go today in a nation, in a civilized place, in a tribal area, where the church is not near and reaching out to. It's unbelievable, unprecedented. We live in a time, literally, where Jesus can come back because, the, because quote, the gospel has been preached in all places. Now, there's still unreached people groups in places like pockets of, like what Brandon does in Mexico. Absolutely. But the gospel is in all nations. Being translated, the Bible's the translated book in the world. By far the most translated book. Every year they come out with new translations in different languages. You see, we're part of something that's bigger than ourself. And we're called to be in that church. In a local body. And you know what? The church is strong. We think in terms sometimes that the church is weak. It's not. The church is strong. And it's stronger today in some areas than it ever has been. We have more resources today. The gates of hell will not come against us and prevail. The church is the only thing in our life, more so than even family, that will last forever. You see, what we're doing here on Sunday morning is practicing what we're going to be doing for all eternity, and that is being with each other. Stories and people never get boring. That's what heaven's made of. 
Stories and people. That's what church is made of, stories and people. So what's God doing in your life? Do you need to repent today and say, you know what? I'm going to commit to being a part of God's church. It's not, this is not some kind of, you know, ploy for the pastor to get as many people in here as he, as he I, don't, I don't have a number. I really don't. I mean, we've been operating as a smaller church for a long time. I pastored a church that was about 12 people in Kruger for a long time. I'm okay with small groups. So is Jesus. I'm not in it for the numbers. I'm in it for the souls that are to be reached and the only way they're going to be reached to the church. That's you. That's me. We have a great opportunity here at Harvest Point to join with each other in this mission. And we're doing it. You're doing it. You are faithful. And it's an amazing thing to look across the room and think about the stories, even this past week, that were shared in the different small groups of what God is doing in our hearts. He's doing miraculous things. Let's make sure that we're a part of that as we fall in love with his church. Amen.